Today is February 7th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestakomaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bogani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Quinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging my role, your role, as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk the red road. Because apparently my life and issues are content that's triggering. <laughs> if you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talk about today, you want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. And uh, if more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirits, for immediate emotional assistance, call 1-844-413-6649. It is a national toll-free 24-hour, uh, seven days a week crisis line to provide support for anyone who requires emotional assistance relating to that issue. Non-Indigenous, there are uh, functioning distress centers in your area, many with a functioning 211, or for 24-7 toll-free line, 1-833-456-4566. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and you can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today I'm very, very lucky to have a friend, a new friend, uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening up in Banff and Island. Uh, but I would really love for you to introduce yourself in your way and uh, take as much time as you'd like. Thank you. So good day. My name is Alaka and I am originally from Kanuktugatik in the Hikastaruk region of Nunavut, which is also called or known as Clyde River on Baffin Island in Nunavut. I was raised in Ikhaluit. Um, I grew up in Kanuktugatik until my teens. A majority of my family still live up there. I am currently on Algonquin Anishinaabe territory. I am a guest to these lands. Um, I have never actually been invited officially, as that is how we do things in Canada now today. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that. Um, I have three children. They are my world. My father grew up in Iglovigak between Kanyaktugapik and Pond Inlet, but closer to Pond Inlet, Mitsimatari where 
the issues of Baffin land and the protests are happening today. And I would like to say a big thank you for this conversation that we are going to have today. Oh, I'm the one who's honored. I, I wish I could tell you it's hard to watch my cousins up north uh, try to get a message out and then not be able to really explain it. So I, it's really important, obviously, for the people most affected to speak for themselves. So that's why I was really grateful you would come here and talk about what you're seeing and, and what you're hearing, because, um, you know, we're seeing small videos, we're seeing pictures, but we're not, you know, it, I could never speak for anybody but myself, right? So I, I understand that uh, it's really important for the people affected to talk about it in their way. So I'm really grateful you're here to talk about this. And uh, yeah, so I just feel like as Indigenous people, we're constantly on the front lines of talking about environmentalism, and that's what I'm seeing. So uh, would you mind kind of explaining to my friends and family and my, and my listeners why, what is going on up in Bampton land right now? Um, there is this mine called Baffin Land and has been there for quite a few years now. They are a mining company mining for iron ore to make metals, you know, resources, money, everything. Um, but it has, in the past five years especially, it has started to really pollute and damage the animals the land, the water, the ecosystem, everything. Hunters are starting to see all of the repercussions and the negative effects this mine has had, not only on the environment, but everything as a whole. Our entire natural world, including our languages, our cultures, and our relationships with each other, with the animals, with the land, with the waters, everything. Mm. <clears throat> right now, they are in negotiations about um, the mine expanding into phase two, which will have crazy, crazy impact, not only on the people of the north, but people in general in this world. They are planning on creating a railroad that is 110 kilometers <clears throat> in length which of course we have seen in Canada and all of our nation's land. Railroads are not good news, especially when it comes to the livelihoods of everyone that is directly in the location of the environment. So it's a very sad, heartbreaking thing happening right now. Um, the Inuit, the elders, the hunters are not being listened to. They're their, their concerns, their worries, and their voices are being put aside. There are outsiders or visitors, uninvited guests that have come into our lands and have tried to fight and tell us that it isn't going to be that bad. It's going to be okay. And it seems like they're getting more listened to because of this education that they possess which is really unfortunate because these hunters and these elders are doctorates in ecosystem, our languages, our culture, our ways of being. So Inuit have actually started protesting at Bassinland right now, blocking the airstrip as well as the road, which is really ironic if you think about it. Because in our Inotituk language, there's not even a word for protest. It's a very foreign concept. And here are these incredible, incredible, and very strong and courageous hunters that drove two days from their community to go to Baffinland to make a point, to get their message across that they do know what is happening and what is going to happen. We are all crying for help because we know the repercussions all of this will have. We have seen it in the South with all these nations, with everything that has been lost and continues to be lost. Enough is enough. Oh. Our languages are important. Our culture, our ways of being, they're very important. Our traditional knowledges 
the research that has gone to our being for over a thousand years, it is legitimate. We see this with this whole idea of the climate crisis and this concept of climate change that has been spoken about for the past 10 plus years. It is very ironic to me that these hunters and our elders have to fight to be acknowledged of their knowledge of all this research evidence and these ways of knowing that have been acquired for a millennia, mm -hmm. not just the past few hundred years. Yeah. Wow. So that yeah. is a little recap of what is happening. No, I Inuit feel this. I'm sorry, continue. Inuit are very cognizant that we have a duty. Everyone, the humankind, it's not just Inuit. We have a duty to respect and to speak for the environment, the ecosystem, the animals, because they cannot speak for themselves. Inuit know that how important it is to fight for the voices of everything in our natural world because it is getting destroyed every day. They are crying for help, not for themselves, but for the future generations that, are, that hopefully will come. They are trying to ensure that we will have future generations where our language isn't just a story, where our culture isn't just from books. So that is what is happening. And I am so proud of everyone back home for standing up, even though this whole concept and this way of doing things is very foreign to them. Mm. We always say that we are a loving people. The first peoples and the stewards of the land are all loving people. That is why we have survived for so long and we have thrived, but it is not being recognized and we are all being threatened. Mm. So they are asking everyone to come together to help fight this crisis that is happening. <clears throat> I know for me, um, anything that I can do to amplify the voice matters to me. Um, I've seen that movie, The Angry Anook. I read that book, The Right to Be Cold. And uh, so it, it is far removed even for me. But I, I feel that in my bones and in in where I come from. Um, so the Yellowknife uh, diamond mines and the um, and gold mines, like the water there is now polluted. And uh, I don't know if they'll be able to clean that up. And I don't believe that there's any, you know, attempts for that either. And just as in Alberta, we have uh, abandoned well sites and abandoned pipelines all over. It's just a grid uh, all across Alberta. And I don't know, you know, if we're going to really clean that up. And then add on top of this conversation of nuclear energy and, you know, the waste that's here for millions of years and we don't have proper treaty to take care of waste. So I just, you know, I, I don't understand how people don't see this bigger picture of how energy is ruining our water. I mean, it, it's ruining our life. And we as Indigenous people have long-term treaties with the environment, whether it's uh, with the animals, whether it's with the water, whether it's with the air. And we are, as as just human beings complicit in this picture of what you know the Western economy is doing to our earth. And it's not something that we agree to. And something that you had said earlier about the climate change movement, the Inuk, the Inuits, sorry, have been really leading, leading this conversation for decades longer than others, frankly. And I, um, you know, I, I just feel like the Anuk voice needs to be um, amplified. And then, I mean, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People really have showcased Indigenous-led economy, Indigenous-led uh, ways of, of knowing tradition that will solve the climate change crisis. But 
unfortunately colonizers want to control the narrative. So I've seen a shift for a lot of the neoliberals to really promote these uh, UN uh, sustainable development goals instead, you know, rather than because they want to continue with their neoliberal Western economy at the expense of people, at the expense of the environment. So that's kind of the alternative rather than focusing on non-drip. So I, uh, here in Alberta, um, one of my last guests that I had was talking about uh, mining that's happening in our Rocky Mountains. So the UCP government here has um, gotten rid of a, a, a bill that they had in 1976 to protect our mountains. And they just eliminated it out of the blue. They didn't campaign on it, nothing. They just eliminated it. And um, as a result, mining companies, you're not going to believe this, from Australia are going to be giving those resources to China. And we are not in any way profiting from this. They always talk about, you know, 20 temporary jobs that maybe a couple of natives might get as somehow a positive. And, and I mean, down here, we call those mountains our grandfathers. You know, like there's that spiritual significance of um, them being here for millennia. That's why Mount Rushmore is such a, you know, uh, an awful thing that have happened because those were sacred mountains that they defaced to put their their own people on there. And then out here, we're not even going to make monuments. We're just going to erase the the mountains in general. And um, and and you're not going to believe this, but even the white people are on board because uh, we have country stars singing or uh, country singers speaking out on this. Even beer companies are saying, well, if, if you do this, it'll poison the water and we can't have good beer. So I'm like, that'll be the nail in the coffin for this. I'm sure of it because God forbid we don't have good beer in Alberta. So, but the, even the ranchers, even the farmers are saying, you know, if you, if you um, upset that water stream, then we're not going to have the best Alberta beef. We're not going to have um, like Tabor corn is a big thing down here and canola oil, things like that. So even they're fighting a lot of the development, but up there, it sounds like there's more of Southerners that have relocated up there and are saying, oh, no, no, it's good for the Western neoliberal economy. So it's okay to do this at the expense of, you know, all of the habitat that you have out there. And I'm seeing these pictures. It's like a, like a red dust that's coming and, and going in the water and going over the land. So that that's really scary to me. It is. <clears throat> it is extremely scary. And what's even scarier is that it seems like the general population are just watching. It's, they have this feeling or this notion that it's not going to directly affect them. But it is. This, this issue that we have been fighting just across this country that is called Canada, this state made up of crazy things that make it a legitimate country. But all these fights that we are seeing from coast to coast and south to north, it seems as though it's always um, talked about as an indigenous issue. And that's right. not something I have been able to understand. What is an indigenous issue? What does indigenous mean? Indigenous means that you are from that land. Well, I'm sorry. We are all from somewhere. We all are interconnected and we are all going to get affected if one gets affected. And right now we see with all of the, <clears throat> excuse me, minds that you are talking about and everything internationally, it is affecting everything. It is time to stop this together. It is time to start questioning our government, to start questioning what is happening. It is time to question our economy. Because what is more? Is it food or is it land? You can't eat food. Or sorry, you can't eat money. money. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, and it's a new concept that has been <clears throat> brought into our lives not that long ago. 
if you think about it. So I look at everything that is going on and I look at what my family, my elders are saying and I am heartbroken because they are right. They are right in the fact that there is a lot of lying. There's no transparency, there's no accountability, but they can see what is happening with the red dust that is in the seal holes. I have never seen that. I have never heard of all these things that these hunters are talking about and they know that it's hurting the animals and the ecosystem. They have the statistics. I have never heard of, okay, you can cut that out. Hold on, I lost my train of thought. That's okay, I do it all the time. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> so the red waters and everything that you are talking about, the dust that is going everywhere, it is harming our animals and the land. And when I say our, I mean humanity. Because at the end of the day, land does not belong to anybody. It's not even in our everyday indigenous vocabularies internationally. And I would like to challenge all Indigenous speakers on if there is that concept that the land is yours, because it isn't. It is everybody's. We are just guests to these lands. To, to walk this journey of life, to fulfill our journey, to do our part in this society that we have been put into. So this whole notion uh, Bath and Land is turning around and saying that the dust is not getting into our animals or it's not harmful. They are lying. And I say lying because the eldest lady in Mitimatarik, Pond Inlet, referred to this as saying she was talking about the issue and it was very heartbreaking to hear her because she had so much truth. She's in her 90s. She has experienced life without the, this Eurocentric way of living. She has lived it. She understands. And she kept saying that these people that are not from our lands that have just come in, they are lying. They have been lying from the start. Inuit have been honest. And even with Bath and Land today, Bath and Land is still lying. And lying in a sense of not being accountable, not being transparent, not telling the whole truth, saying that this dust and everything else is not harmful to the animals. When in fact, just about 50% of narwhals have disappeared in that area that, is, that used to be so rich in Skildarugak. There's no more where the fish, you could go fishing and you could fish a whole bunch within an hour. Now you're lucky to get one. It is harming everyone. Yep. This is a human issue. This is a life issue. Yeah, yeah it, it's incredible to me that we have to explain, you know, Land Basics 101 regularly on this podcast because I, I don't understand how so many folks are disconnected from the land. And um, it's been interesting watching, you know, a lot of uh, ranchers and cowboys talk about the land in a good way and talking about preserving the water. But I mean, this is down south where we have like a whole industry of movies making, you know, cowboy life and, you know, the stampede and, and this concept, this, this cowboy Western narrative. So I feel like it's, you know, in a way we're lucky to have a team that are the actual voters of these people that are making these poor decisions. Um, but there is a lot of Western alienation down here, but um, that's a whole other conversation rooted in ignorance of treaty and ignorance of the land ownership as well. Um, <clears throat> when you talked about you know, understanding that we share this land 
um, I had to make peace with that because of my, my Mayflower roots and uh, through my father's side. And we talked about how our, our ancestors welcomed the newcomers. They were starving, they were sick, and they doctored them. And then they taught them how to live here so that they could survive. And, you know, I just, I, when I hear Western ideals of, uh, you know, their uh, three religions that came from, you know, uh, Judah, or I guess Jewish, Christian, and Muslim, and we, we hear about this like neighborly spirit, but yet I don't feel like that's ever been reciprocated to us. And when we're talking about the issue that you're having up in, in with this mining company, again, it sounds like Indigenous, well, Inuk, uh, Inuit voices are being silenced. And, I, and that has to stop. It has, it has to. to you see what has been happening in Wet'suwet'en on these elders getting disrespected and hurt. That is not acceptable. That should not be acceptable for anybody. And this whole that we as Indigenous women, and I put Indigenous in heavy quotations, because we all should be recognized for our individual nations that we have come from and the location that we have come from, where we yeah. stem from. It is mind boggling to me <clears throat> that it is still happening. I don't understand yeah. how everyone seems to be okay with it. I don't understand how our Canadian state can still go in. And mind you, we're still being, we still have Indian affairs. What is that? We can't even govern ourselves. We can. Yeah. It has shown. Yes. There's a lot of evidence of it. And right now, uh, the only way out I see for all of our nations and for people of this planet is if we unite together and we start fighting for what is right and we start speaking for our children and the generations that hopefully will come if we don't destroy our earth. Yeah. It is yeah. No. remarkable. And I have seen that you can mesh two worldviews. It can happen. Why can't we work on that today? I'm not sure if you know who Gordon Robertson was, but he was a very prominent individual in Canada. He has been a commissioner and all these other things within the Canadian government. Well, this man relocated Inuit, relocated in a sense where they were taken from their natural environment and their ways of life and just put somewhere so Canada can claim sovereignty over the Arctic. So other states don't come in and take all the resources that are on that land. I am currently going to university at Carleton University in Ottawa, and a building was named after this man. It was called the Robertson Hall, and it was the administrative building. There were three very courageous women from all walks of life, East Indian, white, Muslim. They came together and they started a petition to stop, to change the name of Gordon Robert, Robertson Hall because they found out who this man was and what he did to Inuit. I watched these three young women and a professor, an Italian professor, fight for this. Fight so much that the name has now changed in the process of changing, along with two other buildings. I bring this up because Gordon Robertson's family at first was not in agreement with this. They were angry. And they were scared that their father was going to be viewed as this monster. I understand that. I understand why they were very iffy about the name change and how it may have, they have felt that they were insulted. Today, the Robertson family 
looked at a different world view. They came with open hearts and an open mind, and now they are in 110 supporting the name change. If this family can do that, everyone else can make a little effort in looking at all of our worldviews, especially when it comes to our common livelihood of needing land, needing water, needing the animals and the ecosystem, and our traditions and our cultures, our language. If they can, if the Robertson family can understand that and put everything aside, right down to their family's very big name, I think everybody can do that. And I think it is, it is time that we do that. Otherwise, we're going to die. Yeah. We're going to be like the dinosaurs. Our life will end. Your children, everyone's children, is going to go away. Yeah. And we know this because of this whole conversation that has been happening about climate change and how important it is to start saving the Arctic. I have been hearing that. Where are those people now? Where are those activists that are going around the world saying, let's save the polar bears. It is very crazy to me that you hear all of these campaigns and these organizations always talking about saving the animals, especially pets, you know? I am a legal study student and also a human rights major. I major in both of them. Good. And things that I have seen, the articles that I have seen about saving animals and the laws surrounding animals and their well-being, I cannot understand. I don't understand it because it seems like they are just deflecting, looking at themselves as human beings. So it's very bizarre to me that all of this stuff is happening in, in Baffin Island, where I come from, where my family is right now fighting. Where are these people? Because it's not just Inuit in danger. It is the polar bears and the seals. Yep. And a huge part of the way Mother Earth is in balance. Like I, that was my big takeaway from the Angry Anook and um, the Right to be Cold the book and the, the film because you know if we don't get it right like uh, up north is where we see all the effects of climate change where we see all the effects of um imbalance on mother earth so if we don't fix it then you know and, and it's show it showed so well in both the film and in the book um you know we have to write this and then and instead we're adding insult to industry uh injury by adding mining and now and it's interesting. Um, I have so many things to, to to tell you. I'm I'm so grateful you shared that because I feel like we're always having the same conversations just in different areas of the country. Um, here in Calgary, uh, we changed a bridge that was called Langevin Bridge to Reconciliation Bridge because Langevin was the architect for Indian residential schools, and we have a science school here, and it's called Langevin School. And there was concern about the family being insulted. And I re that really hurt me and affect affected me because we have thousands of, you know, missing children and burial sites that are unmarked all across this country from Indian residential schools. And we have families that are, you know, still dealing with the impact of trauma from Indian residential schools. And somehow we're allowed to not think about the impacts that those policies and actions have had and just move on. Like nobody would say to a Jewish family, you need to move on from the Holocaust. No one would say to somebody in New York, you gotta forget about 9-11.
but yet we are told regularly, oh, we just need to get over this as if we still don't live under the Indian Act and as if we still have say in these policies that get imposed on our lands and on our peoples. And, um, you know, I look at these railways, they go through every place. All of our towns are built around the railways down south, all of them, including Calgary. And that is what brought the newcomers, the, wet, the, the settlers. Um, we have proud settler societies here, lots of proud pioneers, lots of proud cowboys, um, ranchmen clubs with lots of organizations that like are proud of the genocide of indigenous people and taking the, the theft of our lands and the inequalities, the imposed poverty from the Indian Act. And um, you, you started by talking about this man who relocated the Inuit and so many people are unaware of this. Um, the UCP government here in Alberta, they are purposely um, denying this indigenous education for um, all Albertan kids. So we're going to have even more generations of Albertan kids that are completely ig ignorant to, you know, these policies that were imposed on our people. You know, I, I should know who this Roberts person is, but I didn't because I'm not uh, a nook. But the irony is up, up in uh, the north, like in Yellowknife, we have the Métis, the Inuit, the Dene, and uh, all the other visiting First Nations, a lot of Cree there as well. And they all see each other as their cousins. And we were all impacted. I have um, the book, um, the, basically the Inuit residential experience. And uh, a lot of it is all interconnected with my Dene people. And uh, I remember asking my aunties and uncles, like, what, what's the difference between Dene and Inuit? And, uh, you know, obviously the lifestyle, but they, just, they actually said it through the land. They said, oh, the tree line. And then that made so much sense to me. Why would, why does we have different languages and different um, ways of hunting and different ways of being solely based off of the tree line? But I mean, your your cousins by a tree line. How cool is that? <laughs> but I don't know if, if Southerners understand the impact of all of these things. One of those things that have always broke my heart about the Inuit and Canadian policy. When I heard of the relocation and how many Inuit died, how many didn't survive, um, that that was heartbreaking enough. And then to hear the RCMP had a policy um, when they realized they couldn't control us, in Indigenous people all across the north, they shot our dogs so that we couldn't, you know, travel anymore. And that like displaced like you know men from their family and their their wife and their like kids were you know either forced to starve or or live on their own and like i i just i don't understand how we're not talking about the full genocide that canada has imposed on indigenous people i mean i do i always tell people if hitler won you would see what canada is and and here in calgary we're going to actually have a statue go up in a few months for john a mcdonald they're honoring him, if you can believe it. They're still honoring this man who okayed all of these genocides against our peoples. And I, I just can't wrap my head around how anyone could be proud of any of this. Like we, reconciliation means we have to like really be honest about these conversations, the truth part, and then figure out how to live together equally. And I know your people up North are not going to get you know equal revenue we're not getting equal revenue in Alberta. They take our resources and, and not like just us as natives, but also as Albertans. And then we all are left with the cleanup of it. I see a lot of folks that are, are leaving these lands now. Um, there's another war on doctors and healthcare professionals. So a lot of uh, folks are leaving Alberta for that reason as well. Um, yeah, it's just a really sad state. And then, you know, you have a lot of angry um, folks without uh, jobs, and now they're talking about Western separation. And uh, it, it's, I mean, and we're not even really talking about the pandemic. We haven't even had a chance to talk about that because we're literally concerned about saving the environment, the, the earth, the water, and the livelihood of our peoples. That is very sad.
especially given Canada portrays itself as being a very advanced society, a very advanced country. Yep. And I remember speaking to an elder and I was asking, do you think that we're advanced? And she laughed. What does that mean, advanced? I think we're going backwards. We're going backwards in a sense where our human connection and just being in relation has been disrupted. Yeah. We, there's a big divide that has happened. It is incredible to me when I tell people that I'm originally from Nunavut. Immediately, people ask me if I am from an igloo. These are Canadians. We live in the same country. So this whole idea of education, I think, is failing each and every one of us. A hundred percent. We should know each other's country. Colonization did not happen 500 years ago. My father was born in Anidlovigak. My father was completely in his natural environment hunting and coexisting with the land with love and respect. In my father's short years, because almost 70, that is very short, he has seen his family and his land change so fast, mm. so fast. I can't even imagine how my father feels about everything that he has had to experience. And nobody has ever apologized to him or any of my family. Instead, mm. in return, we get outsiders that don't understand our ways and the environment and the language, our ways of being, the animals, the connection, the relationships we have. They don't understand. Mm -hmm. They go up and we get called simple and primitive still today. Yeah. It was in an article last week of an RCMP's wife who stayed in Alpsiat for three years. She said we were, or Alpsiat mute, and I'm going to take that as all Inuit because Alpsiat mute are Inuit. She called Alpsiat mute simple and primitive, that they didn't even understand the concept of sex. This is what is being portrayed. Yeah. This is being published. Yeah. Canada should be ashamed of it. People should be ashamed of themselves, even considering that we are simple and we are primitive. Yeah. We're just caught up. Just yeah. 50 years ago, Inuit were still living in their natural world. Yeah. Sure, wasn't the same as 100 years ago, but we were still there. And it's very sickening to me that this whole idea of treaties and land claims, what, is, what are they for? They are for the government to justify the state of Canada so yeah. it doesn't look like inclusion. So you have this whole idea of ownership. Ownership to land, something yeah. you cannot own, something that you cannot <clears throat> do what you want with, what people are doing. Yeah, no, I agreed. I um, where do we even start and unpack some of this? Um, so I did share that RCMP wife's um words, and I I just shared it to highlight the racism. And I said, can we please start addressing racism in our justice system? Because for this woman to have actually lived there for three years and come away with that, I mean, I don't know what kind of bubble this Pollyanna lived in, but you know, yeah, she had three years to understand. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard. I've I've met, you know, teachers. I've met folks at XRCMP, ex-government officials who go into our communities and they still don't understand systemic racism. They still don't see how Canada imposed this racism. They don't see it. And, it's and I, I can't understand that. Like, how can you be so daft? 
I have theory in being in these human rights courses and the, studying the law from the very beginning of colonization, right? And how else, like I understand why racism and us being viewed as primitives and I understand why they did that. How else could they win over this land? Yeah. How else would they, how else would they be able to do that when we have engineering, we have doctorates, yeah. we have medicine, we have all this knowledge, and it worked, and it was advanced. How else, how else would we get put down? And it's still ongoing. I, I understand why it's still ongoing. Yeah. As soon as you start looking at all of us not being the victims or the poor indigenous people, right? Yeah. I um... If there's... If, if, if that ideology starts disappearing and our worldviews start meshing and we're in a reciprocal relationship, what is that going to do? Yeah. That is something everybody should be asking. I always say, and I only say this because this was taught to me as a, at a young age, the only reason why we were colonized and why we are still hurting today is because we are all a loving and forgiving people that try to look at the best at everybody, try to give everybody a chance, which I think why Baffin Land was able to go into my land in the first place. And when I say my lands, I mean not mine. I don't possess it. This is where my ancestors have survived. Mm -hmm. So when I look at all of that, I, I understand, but at the same time, why keep going? Why start labeling everybody? Why, <clears throat> why label everybody? Why are we called Inuit today or an Inuk? It's because the direct translation is people, person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no labels. There's no labels in our indigenous languages. And I think the only way we can stop this whole systematic violence that continues to happen and has been happening for over 500 years is if we start standing up mm. and we start listening to our elders. Yeah. We all come together and start fighting for those that cannot speak. And today that is my elders too, because the elders where I'm from don't speak English. They don't get the English ways of why anybody would go into your land and hurt it and hurt everything on it just to make money. Money, a concept that was just introduced to us not that long ago. Yep. That literally is translated to a pretend faith. You know, yeah, that's what we call money. They are fighting for this illusion of a faith, you know? Wow, what a great translation. Um, I've heard uh, translations of the police being the ones who take us away. And I've always thought that was dead on. That's true. Um, ones that rip apart families. But to hear the Western economy being translated into a fake faith. <laughs> that's so great. That Well, it's truthful, I think is first and foremost. But, you know, I again, these folks who come here thinking that they can make money off of people and destroy their lands, destroy their culture, destroy their everything. I, I, I can't wrap my head around how they feel good at night, how they sleep at night, you know, knowing that this is happening, that they displace families and displace um, the environment in the way they do. So I, I really appreciate you sharing all of these things with us. And um, when I say us, I mean my listeners. I can't believe I have listeners, but I do. So I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I'm really grateful for you to share uh, what's happening up there. Um, so what I'm going to be doing is amplifying your voice. I share it on my social medias and such. 
and uh, as things come out, I'll be sharing it on my next podcast as well. You're welcome to come back anytime to talk about um, progress that's being made or progress they're making that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, I, I tried to talk about, I'm here in Calgary, and Calgary is really the headquarters for a lot of the energy companies, the, the mining companies. And, you know, we have so much power here in Calgary to shut this down in so many ways. Um, I know a lot of mining companies do go out of Toronto as well, but that bigger picture that, you know, if people understood their power that they have, because I, I still have people come up to me and have the audacity to say, oh, it's just so overwhelming. I don't even know what to do. And it's like, you have the power to quit voting in these people who don't understand colonialism. It's the worst. You have to speak up. Yes. I think that's what we all need to remember. We all have a voice. We all have a job in our communities and in our networks and in our circles, wherever that may be. Each and every one of us, whether you can't even use your hand, you still have the power and you still have a job. You are still very important. Yes. And I think we need to start seeing that. It is so important, especially today with all these minds that you are also mentioning that are happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's unacceptable. And I um so I appreciate you coming on my show and talking about these issues. And you know, before we recorded the bad, like the conversation about Politech and a few other things and skidoos and, and all sorts of interesting things that we were able to discuss. I I just really appreciate you coming on, on my podcast talking about it and me having an opportunity to get to know you. And I was wondering if you could say your name one more time for my listeners. Uh, Alaka is my first name and Idlauk is my last name. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I got to uh, work on translation of it for sure and learn how to say these names properly. Um, some of my favorite uh, Twitter uh, folks that I like to follow, they'll, they'll make videos of them saying their names. And then I'll be walking around the house trying to say this name and my family going, what are you saying? <laughs> so, but it's good for us to know because these languages matter and I want to properly pronunciate people's names and I want to proper, properly acknowledge that Michelle Robinson, that's not my name anymore. And I don't even know how to explain that to people because they don't even get to hear a Denny and a Nuck talk once in a while. So that's why I'm grateful you're on my podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I really am. <laughs> yeah, well, and come back and tell us whatever is going on in your life. Like when you finish uh, Carleton, I'd love to hear more about that. I talk a lot about racism in uh, universities. Uh, well, in all school, all education. So, you know, if you want to talk about initiative like that, like what you shared with that Robertson fellow and his family, Though that stuff matters because of what's happening here in Calgary with the Langevin School. Um, you know, we're trying to get that name change and we have an election coming up. So I know, you know, it, it's a lot easier for white people who are uncomfortable with their fragility, uncomfortable with racism, uncomfortable with this to be like, oh, no, it's an election issue. And then people can say, oh, no, I got voted on and that wasn't an issue. You know, they just deny, deny, deny. So I, I just, my daughter's not going to these schools anymore. How can I send my daughter to a school that they deny her humanity? So anyway, anyway, that's another day for, or another topic for another day. So thank you for coming and talking about what's happening in Baffinland and, uh, you know, send me any updates and we'll share it and, and try to, you know, raise more awareness of it. Wonderful. I, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, we will promote, promote, promote everybody's voice. So thank you. I'm proud this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training or cultural first aid in almost all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with a disability and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. I want to say thank you to the authors of uh, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fridkin, and they were the ones who put together heretohelp.bc.ca, Indigenous people, and why cultural safety, and what, what is cultural safety, and why I should care about it. Their work are those cultural action tools that I've said hundreds of times in my podcast, 
So please support Indigenous work as that is part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm lucky enough just to highlight it and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, such as the Indian Act, Indian residential school, and land clearing policies. I focus a lot on the prairie land clearing policies, but you just heard our guests talk about um, the relocation of the Inuit. And please research that if you don't know more about that. Uh, Donna Bevins has some great racial equity tools at her website.org. And she has a good uh, section on what is internalized racism. If these are concepts that you don't know about, it took, it has, I work on my healing every single day because Canada has taught me to internalize racism. So I have to, um, you know, look at Canada as my abuser and try to heal from that abuse and understand, you know, what are proper boundaries and unlearn those behaviors. So I recommend all Indigenous do if you don't know what internalized racism is. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by the American Friends Service Committee, and that is AFSC.org. Uh, they have the do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. So that's what you do when you see somebody being uh, racially targeted, or I, I would even say now with these anti-maskers, how to intervene in a better way. Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, so it can be regularly disregarded. No more honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disability, know that your vote to that party is directly negatively impacting marginalized people. Demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention. And now we have 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. And you just heard it. We were just talking about that stupid RCMP wife who said those racist things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. They don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism. They literally have zero business running. It should be understood by all parties, politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. A great article that I said out loud is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Become Allies. Please learn, there's so many resources. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk about anything we talked about today, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day. They also have a text option at hopeforwellness.ca. And if it's related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 1-844-413-6649. And there are usually functioning 211 uh, or uh, suicide prevention lines in most southern uh, Canada and there's a 24-7 toll-free one 1-833-456-4566. Violence is my everyday reality. Indigenous, every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast. To speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions. As many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who don't know anything about Indigenous, like say the RCMP wife, who know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, those who are gatekeepers, those that survive off the status quo, or others who are in their trauma and stop people from being able to do the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and that's why I needed a podcast. It's a boundary to be here. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example, uh, my aunts, my uncles. I have so many good people in my life. Uh, my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots. 
and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our children, and support down my journey of the Red Road, he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our, our child, who we are learned to bless, who we are, we are blessed to learn from every day, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I have a YouTube channel that you can subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving those the side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> Thank you for listening.